This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, and you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Oh, all right. Looks like we made it. All right. Can we get the door open? My, my hands are kind of full. Uh, yeah, sure. Here goes. All right. Back in the house misdirected. I can't believe we pulled that off. Well, we had a plan. But was it a good plan? I don't believe in good plan. I got the plan we have. Still, I think we accomplished our mission in time. Well, let's get back and bask in our spoils. All right. Here's the workshop. <clears throat> Gentlemen. We did it. Did you follow the plan? More or less. Was the opposition overwhelming? Well, there was a line. And do you have the objectives? Yep. Large coffee and a jumbo box of Timbits. Plus some hot chocolate and some Paula's donuts. Awesome! You have done well, my friends. Minions. Friends. Friend minions. Did he just call us minions? Um, well, with that, welcome to the 433rd episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. So that we talk about missions and job adventures. How to use them, when to use them, and how to make them work in your game. But along the way, we'll take comments, suggestions, and examples for the chat room for life before heading into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am, of course, Old Man Logan. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. To Tuesday night. All right. Well, uh, it's uh, it, it feels a lot lighter in the in the uh, in the vestibule today than it has in, in the a couple of weeks past. Um, so we're going to do the temperature check. See how everybody. Pfft, misdirected mark word scramble we're gonna see how everybody's feeling tonight starting with phil yeah i'm uh feeling pretty good tonight um i got like a little bit of a endorphin thing going i got a bike ride in before dinner um which was nice the weather was pretty favorable today and my son was um my son caught me early in the morning like there's that inertia thing you have to overcome so he like comes downstairs and he's like he looks at me he's like dad He's like, he's gonna be like 66, 68 by, you know, afternoon. He's like, you want to just take a ride after work? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And I really do. Like, I love riding my bike, but it's the inertia of like, lay on couch and watch TikTok versus go out and do something. Yeah. Um, But I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we did. We took a bike ride. It was great. Um, And got like one of our longer rides in, which isn't super long. Like for people who ride bikes, like Mm -hmm. I'm still a big fat guy on a really heavy bike. So like I get a good workout. I get a good workout just for adding a couple miles, but we did. We took our longer ride instead of just going around the block. Like we went out a bit, um, which was cool. And it was fun. And I really, I love riding my bike. Um, so that was good. And mentally, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm doing all right. The past couple of weeks, you know, were pretty rough for me. Um, feel like I might be on the other side of it. Um, I have a whole bunch of projects that are shutting down and um, I, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm not worried about what's coming next. Um, Cause that will, that will make me depressed when I have to start thinking about like what, uh, you know, like what upcoming work is, is looming ahead of me. But for now I'm just like, I'm shutting projects down. Things are getting completed. We're making progress. And I'm like, that's all I want to focus on. Um, and then I want to go on vacation. I'm starting to line up my vacation. There you go. Um, I have some, I, I have some tentative ideas. Date, I have some tentative dates in mind, which make me very excited. Um, 
and you know, kind of just ready to wrap my projects and then like blow out the door for yeah. like, like see you guys. When I come back, we'll talk about new projects kind of thing. So all right, anyway, cool. that's a long way to go. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little chatty tonight, so be aware. Right. You, uh, you can't underestimate the fresh air and sunshine either. Yeah, that fresh air, sunshine, and endorphins mix yeah. on top of the large iced coffee I brought to the show is going to make for a great combo tonight. There you go. <laughs> All right. I myself am uh, feeling pretty good physically. Um, I had a mild allergy day. I, I only kind of felt them lingering in the background. And then like an hour before the show started, I started feeling the the rumblings again of like it might be coming. So I prepped myself with some pills and <laughs> pumped another coffee into me. Um, mentally feeling pretty good again, sunshine and, and a cool breeze and, uh, um, had a, had a nice afternoon, which I will talk about in the one thing. So I'm feeling good. Jerry. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, this is the week that I, this is one of the weeks I teach, teach my 30 hour class. So, um, I, I've been on for like nine hours a day for the last two days. Plus on my feet. So I'm physically sore, just walking around on a hard floor and, Teaching class takes some time, but it's good. I'm I we have a good class this year. Um, I'm surprised normally by day two, I'm about an hour behind where I should be, and I have places to catch up. This time, we're about 20 minutes ahead of schedule, and I'm not sure it's because they don't ask a lot of questions or just because we're moving well, or I didn't want to find a lot of segues, but uh, we're moving well, and that's uh, that's always that makes it a much more relaxing it's good day because this is the day that I do all of the what we call alphabet soup, which are all the different. <laughs> governmental organizations and how they interfere with each other. And it's, you know, how FIFRA and the FQPA and the FFDCA oversee each other. And it just, and nobody likes it. Nobody can follow it for a while. <laughs> and we got out of it and everybody's in good shape. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm looking forward to a fun show tonight. Awesome. All right. So let's roll on into the lobby for the one thing and get this party started. So today I had the pleasure of going to the car dealer and picking up my new car. Um, nice. I have been leasing for quite a while. I'm on my sixth lease in a row, I think, or seventh, um, and my fifth Nissan, um, and my third Nissan Rogue in a row. And wow. they sent me a message, because I still had a year to go, a year plus on my lease, um, around Thanksgiving of 2022 is when it was up. Um, and they sent me a message saying that there's a high demand for low mileage, good shape used cars, and they know that I don't put the full 36,000 on my lease. Usually I'm usually fairly well under and I keep my cars in good shape. So they're like, Oh, you are, you are like your cars. <laughs> like you could eat off of your, like the yeah. interior of your car. Like, you are very, you are very good to your cars. Yeah. You also can tell you have no children. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. So good they point. sent me a thing saying, Hey, you know, if you, if you want, you can come over and talk to us with the, uh, we might be able to get you a deal where we can uh, we can get you in something new at no cost to, to close out the old lease. And I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll come talk because they totally redesigned the Rogue for 2021. So I'm like, sure, why not? So I went out and I talked to them at the end of last week. And uh, they got me in a new 2021 with uh, a really nice package and closed out my old one. Nothing out of pocket, nothing. I'm paying a little more per month, but I got a I got a nicer car because they they redesigned it on the high end, like you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm very happy, except for the one feature that they they took away 
from the premium package and put in the uber super expensive package which is the seat memory where you could just push a button and it would go to oh all yeah the, yeah, the yeah mirrors in the seat position and everything so now if somebody moves my seat i gotta try and find that sweet spot again and i hate that but nobody drives my car anymore <laughs> anyway so the odds of no are pretty slim you are actually you're one of the people it's really uh it, it, it's funny because when we take road trips and stuff like i'm always down for like like doing some of the driving but you're like fuck it i got this and you yeah. just like <laughs> unless it's something you're, super heinous where it's like a hard ride for longer hours than normal then maybe i'm like oh <laughs> no then we get then we get jerry like jerry's the ultimate road warrior like if you need to cover like yeah. 12 14 hours like you get like you get yeah. jerry that's jerry's like mad max out there yeah <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, so, you know, it was nice, uh, you know, driving in a new car and playing with new features and tuning oh, the radio sure. and setting the presets and stuff like that. So good times. It has, and it has new car smell, right? And it has new car smell and all that. So yeah, yeah no, no, that's nice. That's 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 snazzy. All right. Cool. So that's me, Jerry. What about you? Um, I enjoyed watching The Nevers um, on HBO. It's uh, I think episode two is out now. It's basically Victorian X-Men. Sweet. It's, uh, it's a a it's it's England and um, an event occurred and now there's these people that are called the touched and um, there's kind of a discussion over I think it's England actually it looks like England and there's a, a woman in a wheelchair who runs an orphanage for people who have special powers. Well then, uh, well then, guess yeah. we're not even guess we're not even trying <laughs> to hide it now. They just scraped the serial number there's off of a, that one. There's uh there's 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 uh several evil touched that are out there trying to kind of rally people up to rebel. There's a does one of them control magnetism? Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> just, just checking. Yeah, just. but it's, it's oh, it's it's close. There's a there's a uh, uh, a evil government guy who basically wants to vilify them and then make them you know that there's that uh, it's okay that they're that they're out there, but they should never like un- never underestimate their betters kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of uh, it's it's HBO. So there's a lot of yeah. uh, of sex. Uh, it's also you might like it, Phil, because it's, it's queer as hell as well. So they did they don't yeah. Uh, there we go. And they don't and they don't they don't make it into a spectacle. It's just that they're doing a lot of yeah. fun stuff with that. Um, it's got a lot of good stuff in it, um, and the characters and their powers are fairly interesting. Um, one person can sort of see the future. One person can see electricity. <clears> so she's an inventor. Um, one can throw fire. Um, one can just make people tell, can just make people just talk to her and tell her everything. She doesn't ask questions. They just open up and tell her everything. So it's, it's interesting ideas of yeah. how you would run like a supers game in Victorian England. Neat. Um, yeah, you're right. It is fun. London, Victorian London, 1896. Thank you. And I see yeah, one, of the, uh, one of the executive producers is um, uh, Janus Benson, who yeah. is a... Uh, TV producer and writer who I've been following for quite a while. She did a lot of writing on a lot of big name TV shows over mm-hmm. the years, and she's uh, she's really good. The one the one negative part is that the first couple episodes were directed by Josh Sweden, but uh, <laughs> he left he left he left the show after that. So I think we're going to get away from from that uh, albatross around their neck and stand to some <laughs> good stories. So it's it's it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing the next one. So cool. Bill. Yeah, for me, um, my my one thing is uh, I hunt. Uh, we played I hunt on Sunday. Yes, we did. Um, and uh, like we we did we did our initial like we we did the first part of the hunt 
uh, the previous session. But this session, um, I introduced some of the characters' personal lives yeah. uh, into it, and we got to kind of engage some of the other mechanics of the game. So we did some compels, um, and then we did um, a very I hunt specific mechanic uh, called the imperil, uh, where you offer two bad choices to a character. You give them a fate point uh, based on one of their aspects. So I imperiled one of Bob's aspects, and um, he could either take a freelance job and make sure that they had the rent money covered or he could go with his aunt Sue to the doctor to find out her test results. And then they would, you know, not have money, but he would at least know what the doctor told aunt Sue since she's not reliable. Yeah. um, She doesn't have a track record of telling me exactly how the doctor visit went down. (laughs) Yeah. So it was good. Like, and, and so that was actually, um, uh, and then, uh, and then Tony's like, once again, like, I just, I I can't say enough about Tony. um, Like he just, like really like really digs in like Glenn I mean you all did great like mm-hmm. Glenn did a great job and then Bob did actually the um yeoman's work he did the actual um while Glenn and Tony were kind of on like side adventures Bob was tailing their potential target for the day um and actually did like all the uh detective legwork um which was cool like it was yep. and it was cool. a cool way to split it up um, so we got to do all that and I was very pleased because, um, I was looking to, um, with the target, um, I was looking to evoke a certain aesthetic, uh, with the target. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I put the picture on the, uh, virtual tabletop, um, I was very pleased. Everybody responded to it just as I hoped they yeah, did. Douchey like, white dude. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Douchey white dude. Like I just, as soon as I put the picture down, everybody was like, oh, geez, like, this guy and i think uh glenn's character's exact words were like oh man i hope this is the guy we get to kill yeah (laughs) um so that was actually really um it was really fun and it played out it felt very um it felt very like 90s urban fantasy tv drama like um i don't even want to say 90s it felt very urban fantasy tv drama like which is very much where that show is supposed to dial into. Yep. So cool. it was a good time. Yeah, it was good. I know Bob's going to talk about it a little in the community chat as well, but like I, um, I dug it. Plus once again, just another reminder of why I like playing fate, right? Like I, I, st- I like I, I go through these phases where I don't play fate for a while and then I start playing it again. And I'm like, Oh, right. I fucking love this system. <laughs> like, yep. like, yes, the system does things that I like absolutely love. And it totally did. Yeah. And that's um, the important part. Yeah, it's good. It, and it's a really good fit. I got to say, I hunt um, um, normally uh, and, I, you know, PK will take some objection to this, although I think, you know, PK has also worked around this. Um, Fate's not always the best um, game for horror, but this game, like, horror, it's a different kind of horror. Like, it's yeah. not a scary horror kind of thing. It's not meant um, to evoke um, terror and, and fear, like, as yeah. a matter of course. So yeah, we had some we had some good we had some good character character drama. We had some good legwork that um, really kind of pushed forward the investigation to get us uh, closer to actually um, completing the first eye hunt. Um, it ended on a good cliffhanger. Um, it was good. It was good. So pleased, very pleased. Yay! Yeah, good. Cool. Uh, do some announcements, um, yeah, Bob. We should we should do the announcements? So Bob, tell me tell me about a game called Circle of Six. Yeah, so Circle of Six. Yeah, Jerry, you can't with the the background like that. It's <laughs> there. You go. They still can't see the cards though because it's washed out. But I appreciate the effort. Circle of Six is a set collecting game card game where two to six players 
try to collect one of each numbered card from a circle of six cards by placing their cards into the circle or moving a marker card around the circle to remove other players' cards. It's designed by moi with the help of the amazing team at Encoded Designs. It is available now from Drive Through Cards for $14.95 for uh, print on demand or $15.95 if you want the fancy plastic deck box to go with it, which is, is very nice. And, uh, you know, please uh, check it out because I would appreciate having somebody buy it again. <laughs> it's a very it's a very cool abstract uh it is abstract, abstract card game. game and it's fun and everybody who's played it has enjoyed it a lot and yeah. uh it's, yeah it's it's fun the rules are quick and easy to learn it's got a great screw your neighbor kind of kind of feel to it which is always a good uh yep. game to play and you can play it with what's the minimum number of players these days uh you can actually go to two players it plays a little bit different with yep. just two than it does with three or more Excuse me. But yeah, it's um, six players. It goes up to and, and it works just fine. Um, I will argue that it's a hell of a lot more fun when you've got six people around the table. All yeah, the it, it, it's chaotic. It is. Yeah, there's a, there's a chaotic <laughs> aspect to it. but Which is fun. Like it's a yeah. and, and you play it in hand like you play it in turns. Yeah. So um, even if you don't do well in one turn, that turn ends and then you you have a yeah. like you you're ready, like you set up and play the next turn. So you're right back in it. It's, it's a, totally it's a, fun game. Totally fun game. Love it. It's, it's a game that that uh, there's lots of twists in it, even though it's a quick game to play. It's a lot of yeah. fun. So I recommend it. <clears throat> good times. Yeah, very good. good. Um, I'll just mention briefly, uh, Voyager is heading into week eight. Uh, we are beginning season four, which I consider to be um, good Voyager. Okay. And I have to say, upon second rewatch, season three wasn't that bad. Yeah. It even gets better. Yep. Like we're going to head into some, um, we're going to head into some great, uh, some great stories. Uh, we have the emergence of a new character. <laughs> that is uh, that we'll actually on the watch party tonight. We're going to find out uh, more about that character tonight. Yay. Um, so that's exciting. That's fun. Yep. Um, so yeah, good Voyager. Uh, you can still jump in I, at this point. Like you can't, like I wouldn't recommend if you're new to the thing, just new, go to the yeah. forums and follow the, um, follow the guides uh but if you've like watched voyager before and you're like oh cool i want to jump in like now now yeah, would be the perfect in. time to jump in and join us uh-huh. go check and out the forums jumping back to circle of six real quick there will be a link in the show notes as well just in case uh you want to oh, yeah, uh, yeah. to jump into a link and go check it out uh-huh. absolutely yay all right well you know what that means it's time for the feature segment are you ready phil Workshop, workshop, we're talking about missions. You're going to be assigned the mission. you got to go on the mission, complete the mission, and get back to base. Find out how you did, and we're going to make it all work in the workshop. Don't suck. Yeah, tonight's topic uh, comes from some musings I've been having about cyber, the cyberpunk genre um, and kind of its over-reliance on missions, jobs, runs. Um and in it, you know, I was just kind of like talking about how like every cyberpunk game I, I see nowadays is like pretty much about like doing jobs and runs. Granted, I did find some other ones after I put a, a word out on Twitter. Uh, I got some good tips on some other ones. But um, it, it's a very strong trope in the cyberpunk world. And cyberpunk 2020 and um, uh, Shadowrun are largely responsible for kind of setting up that yeah. trope, but a lot of people live by that trope. And there's nothing wrong with it, but 
I'm also a huge fan of cyberpunk and kind of want to see like, what else can we do with this genre that isn't, you know, running missions. But anyway, I, I, th- I think Shadowrun relied on it more than cyberpunk did though. Cause Shadowrun actually had the element of like the, the, the dude in black, Mr. Something or other. There was always, Oh, Shadowrun was the most notorious for it. Right. Yeah. Like they, they like built that trope, the Mr. Johnson, the, like the whole nine yards. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. But and again, I, I, I mean, I see Gaming BS, uh, you know, Sean from Gaming BS asked me if I've played Cyberpunk Red. I haven't. I've read it. And much like the original Cyberpunk, it's not that you have to do missions, but like one of the big tropes in that game is like you get jobs like like you get jobs from people and, and, and you you do stuff. And it's OK. Like it's just it's a big trope for Cyberpunk. That is not what we're talking about tonight. That's a whole def- that's a whole separate hmm. rant. In talking about mission-based stuff, we got to talking amongst ourselves about um, what goes into a good mission-based game because um, that genre is pretty huge. So um, that is where we want to focus ourselves tonight. All right. So then we're going to take a look at mission-based play because it's the type of play that is pretty common in RPGs across numerous genres. We're going to look at what makes up a mission as well as how to best GM them. And of course, in order to do that, we got to break out the definitions. So let me cue this up for Bill. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Definition Panda wants a sip of his iced coffee. Okay, good. Good call. All right. Obviously, we got to start with the big term for tonight, which is mission. Uh, mission defined as an important assignment carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. <laughs> I, I, the typically involving travel part amuses me, but we'll get to it in a minute. Um, let's break this thing up a bit and talk about some of the key points of this definition. Uh, the first one is important assignment. Mm-hmm. Assignment, right, in that the mission is something that is given from someone to someone else. Um, there's a person who's giving the mission who knows something about what needs to be done, and the person taking the mission has the means to get it done. Right. Cool. So this, and then, like, this is different than like, like, and I want to separate this. Right. This is different than like doing a job. Right. Like when we look at like Ocean's Eleven, leverage, and things like that, those are not assigned. Right. Yeah. Those are self-starting. Right. The yep. the the thieves decide they're going to do this thing. That's the job. And if that's we want to do, if we want to do, what's that? So that's more like a heist than a Well, mission. it's a heist, right? A heist <laughs> slash job. And if we want to have that discussion as a subsequent episode, we totally can talk about uh-huh. uh, that genre as well, because that genre is cool as hell too. Yeah. But a mission is often, a mission is an assignment, right? Handed uh-huh. down by somebody to somebody else. Um, uh, and the assignment means that there's some measure of success and failure, right? Because assignment's going to come with some level of criteria, like you need to do X. And you either will do X or you will not do X, meaning that a mission can succeed or fail. Yeah. All right. Second part of that, right? Um, carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes. This means that missions are part of some agenda. Um, the person who wants the mission done is following some sort of ideology um, some sort of political faction, something that um, that the mission helps support. And um, that's going to flavor who or what the mission is about and what they're going to do with them. Right. So based on the um, based on the either the organization or what the individual's 
um, philosophies are might determine like maybe you can't kill um, your objective or vice versa. Maybe the preferred thing to do is to kill the objective, that kind of thing. All right. And then lastly, um, and I just found this amusing, right? Like in typically involving travel, right? I I don't know why they stuck that on there, but they did. Um, But it's also, it's also true, right? Most, most missions involve um, getting to the mission location and getting back from the mission location. Uh, and that's not when it comes to this definition, that that last bit is not the deal breaker, but it's right. just true more times than not. Uh-huh. All right. So take all that. Let's roll it up and talk about it in terms of an RPG. Um, a mission then is a type of adventure where characters are given an assignment to complete to advance the ideology or goals of an NPC, typically involving travel. <laughs> um sometimes missions are done for money sometimes they're just done i like sometimes missions are done for money because that's like part of the situation of the game right like um like hey you do missions you get money uh sometimes the game is set up where uh that's your job is to do missions right so if you're like playing like old school top secret like actually old old school top secret i think you still got money but like if you're playing something like si or something like your job is secret agent like you get missions you go do them yeah like if you're playing 007 or something like that yeah. but other times it might be like hey you're freelancers we give you money to go do that yeah okay so that's a good start but we need to dig deeper jerry can you get us started on the anatomy of a mission the parts that make it up sure we're going to talk about a typical mission, but there are infinite variations on the structure. <clears throat> but let's dig into a common structure containing most of the major elements in temporal order. Yeah, first part of this is you have to get the mission, right? The, the first step of the mission is that the characters have to be given the mission by somebody. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. This implies that, uh, that the campaign section has been set up excuse me, such that the players do work for someone, organization, a patron, um, some sort of deity, somebody's giving them a mission. Yep. So in this phase, the characters are going to be given um, a couple of things. The first thing they're going to be given is the target, right? Who or what the characters are going to interact with. They're going to be given an objective. What needs to be done with the target? Steal it, kill it, um, uh, ruin it, um, take, you know, take pictures of the schematics, bring them back, whatever. Uh, then another one that like is like semi optional is the time frame, right? How long will the players have to accomplish this this mission? And some missions are going to be time sensitive, while others will not, and have give the players plenty of time to plan. Yeah, like you know, just I mean, that's just an added twist, right? Like so, you know, sometimes you leave a mission open ended, like we want this guy killed, mm-hmm. right? That's just wide open. Um, other times, it's like, look, this prototype is going to be on display at this electronic show for three days, you know, these three days, you need to hack it during those three days. Right. That, that, that's, those are two, like, I mean, you can see where that time frame changes um, the focus of a mission. Yep. Okay. In addition to those things above, they'll be given some additional information about um, like, they'll be just given some additional information to kind of round out what the mission parameters are so it's gonna be about location the opposition um what's involved what's going to be uh, oftentimes it's going to be some of the objectives that they're going to have to overcome things along that line and hopefully it's good information yeah 
Um, and then they may or may not be given some assets to help accomplish the mission. Uh, they need to transportation, equipment, spells, programs, whatever. They can help them work on the mission. Yeah, like sometimes it's fun, you know, like, I mean, you know, the James Bond trope of like, you know, going to CQ, uh-huh. right? Um, uh, if you're doing like a more military style mission, like maybe the thing that you're going to get is going to be like, here's how you're going to be inserted into, you know, like we're going to, you know, we're going to drop you in by helicopter or, you know, we're going to pick you up. Nighttime insertion. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm seeing something interesting about this list, and that's in one of the games that I've played in the past that was a mission-based game. A lot of these things weren't being given to us. I guess why we were having such trouble with it. Yeah. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll, we can talk about it at the, when we get to yeah, the break. Well, we can talk well, about what happens when those when those early things aren't clear. Yeah. Um, it gets messy. All right. Cool. What? All right. So after we've after the players have received the mission, what do they do next, Jer? Oh, next time. Next thing they do is getting to the legwork and the prep and the planning. Uh, they're going to do some amount of work that they're prepared to execute the mission. And the goal of this phase is for the players to feel ready to execute the mission. And during this phase, the players are going to be working on three main areas. And the first is going to be the plan. Yep, this is the methodology or steps they're going to take to achieve the objective. Followed by the intelligence... Right. This is additional information about the target, the location, the opposition, etc. This is most often accomplished through some character skill checks, but you could also purchase some of this information. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. that's a thing you can just, you know, buy, you can buy your way through. Mm -hmm. Uh, The intelligence is often used to feed into the plan, right? So that, you know, you can't like you don't know what the security system is at the location. So you don't know, you know, you don't know what to do for the plan. So you go get some intelligence on the security system. And there are some games that have intelligence as a uh, tradable resource as well. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk, yeah, yep. we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to have assets. Yeah, this is additional equipment, gear, et cetera, that's going to be used to support the plan and achieve the, and achieve the objective. This is usually stuff you purchase. Um, but characters could also make their own gear, like if that's a thing in your in your game, like, you know, you can craft up your stuff um, or they could be lent it by a, like, you know, their patron or whatever. Like, for instance, if you're running like a uh, real heavy military campaign, you're not buying your military hardware like you're giving you're in your mission package. You're going to be told like you have this hardware available to you or maybe you could try to requisition something. Yep. All right. So this thing is complete when the players feel that the characters are ready to go and they start to execute the mission. Yeah, which leads us to execution, right? This is where the characters now go and attempt to achieve the objective by enacting their plan. Um, this is going to involve like all sorts of stuff, depending on what their plan is, right? Skill checks, role playing, uh, pretty good chance it's going to involve some combat uh, because players like um, players like to solve many problems, um, you know, at the end of a gun. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm no exception from time to time. I like to I like to blow up and shoot my way through problems as well. Um Depending on their plan, depending on the outcomes of their skill checks and combats and things like that, uh, the execution could go smoothly or not. Um, but in this execution phase, there are a couple of like little subparts. I don't know any better way to say it. Like little, they're like little mini parts of it that are worth noting. The first is going to be the insertion. This is the first part of the mission where the players get get to uh, get to or get into the mission and they started out this is important uh this section goes can color the rest of the mission if it goes smoothly they're going well if they start having trouble right off the bat they could be left in a, a desperate situation before the mission even starts which can be fun 
Uh, yeah, I mean, for instance, in as a real life example, in the operation um, that ultimately resulted in the um, in the death of uh, Osama bin Laden, um, during the insertion phase, one of the helicopters crashed in the compound. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. just I mean that that's an unexpected twist that you know that now needs to be dealt with. Um, yep. And if you're playing that in a role-playing situation, right, that's like an unexpected thing that just happened as part of the insertion that you're like, now you have to compensate for. Okay, the second one of these little sub-phases is the twist. Um, so not every mission has a twist, but a lot of them do. Um, and the twist is usually some aspect of the mission that catches everyone by surprise. Um, and it often forces the players to alter or abandon their plans. Um and it's usually because it's something that's basically unknowable. Um, like if you could have found it out during the legwork phase, you would have accounted for it. But it's usually something that just can't be found out. Like, um, for instance, um, you are, you know, you're going to um, you're going to extract um, you're going to extract the scientist and you assume it's a friendly extraction based on all the intel you have only to find out that this person's like a super loyal fanatic to the company. And when you go to extract them, they not only resist you, but they really like attempt to like alert everybody along the way. Like yep. that's a twist, you know, that mm-hmm. um, now you have to account for. Yep. Right. So like maybe you didn't bring something to put the target <clears throat> to sleep with. And now you're dealing with um, that. Or maybe they tell you as, <laughs> as you're about to extract them. They're friendly, but they tell you that they have a cortical implant that's going to explode if they leave yeah. the building. Or yeah. the guard that you had prepared to uh, distract because they were easily distractible for, for whatever reason. Um, that guard, their cat got sick that morning and they didn't come into work. And now the hard-ass guard who's like ever vigilant is the one that's working. And you're like, uh yeah, and if this seems familiar for heists and jobs, it's because the twist is also part of that um, structure as well. Yep. Okay, the twist yep. is a thing that you do as a GM to raise the tension during a mission. Um, and if you've ever watched a heist or mission, the twist is always um, the twist is always in there um, for just that purpose, right? Like things yeah. look like they're going smoothly. Boom, we hit the twist. Yeah. Okay. Cool, Jerry. What's the last? Uh, what's the last little subphase from this? This is an extraction. The final part of the mission where the characters don't need to leave the location, get away from the opposition, and get back home. Depending on their plan and how well it went, this can be very, very smooth, or it can be a run for their lives. Yes. Um, and depending on um, – we can talk about this in the break too – but depending on where you are in the game, like you may want to hand wave the extraction. Like you're running a um, you're running a uh, four-hour um, – you're running a four hour slot at a convention and yep. it's like three hours and 45 minutes. And the players have, you know, not like it has not gone smooth, but you just like, you let them extract out. Right. Like, cause you can't have the rolling gun fight, but maybe your home game, you're like, Oh yeah. no, we're having this fight. Like, Oh yeah. If we yeah, gotta go we're having this session, fight all the way through the session. streets of Berlin folks. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Gun run. Yep. Always um, this phase ends. The execution phase completes when the outcome of the mission has been determined and mm-hmm. the characters leave the mission site. Hopefully, right? Like <laughs> the outcome could be failure and no one leaves the mission site. That would be um, <laughs> that is kind of like the um, ultimate failure. Um, but typically, like people get away, uh, even if it's a failure, like people get away, that kind of thing. Um, no, no, we, we've had a couple of. Especially in Scum and Villainy, where 
uh, when we left, there was no mission site. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> it it, it also com- it also completes the uh, execution phase if there is no more mission site. That exactly. was like that when we got here. Yeah. <laughs> what planet? Um, so then we have the aftermath, and this is going to be the denouement of the mission. Uh, at this point, the characters typically meet with the party that gave them the mission, and at this point, the outcome is uh, often discussed or reviewed. Payments occurred. Sometimes extra information will be given. Basically, um, it's a chance for the, the the story to come kind of to a to a wrap up or an end. Now, in some cases, the GM will narrate the greater impact of the mission on the story arc, the campaign. What does all this mean now that you've done this? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, with that understanding of what makes up a mission, Phil, what kind of genres does this work for? Oh man, like nearly every genre. <laughs> Right. Like I'm really impressed right now to think of a genre where like an RPG genre where I couldn't make a mission based um, a mission based game out of it. Right. Um, Missions are a pretty ubiquitous story structure and they really do work pretty much everywhere. Um, Like I said, I I don't even know if I could think of one right now because I'm pretty sure I could whip up something if somebody throws out a genre. Um, But in order to make this kind of like to make missions work, you have to have a few things that you set up within inside your genre, right? So you need uh, someone, a group or an organization to give out missions, right? Somebody has to, somebody has to, again, this is not jobs, right? If it's jobs, you're self-organizing, self-motivating. If it's a mission, somebody has to give it to you. So you need an organization in your, in your genre world, whatever that can give out missions Mm -hmm. Um, you need a situation, and by situation, I'm referring to Jason Pitts um, for you know mechanic, uh, system, setting, situation, subtext. Situation is the thing that the characters do in the game, right? So you need a situation where the characters are inclined to take missions. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that has to be part of the game, right? Like, it, like otherwise, you know, you're you're skating uphill, you're ice skating uphill on this thing. Um, and then you need targets and objectives that support the people who give out the missions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then that's it, right? Um, none of that's going to be super hard to put together, but yep. if you are kind of like building your, if you're like um, rolling your own system, like setting or something like just, you got to kind of work these things in, but like, really like this works in fantasy, Western sci-fi. I've got it. Like works in sci-fi, like crazy. Yeah. Um, it works in, uh, modern day, uh, Avi threw out their slice of life games. Oh no, Avi, being an Uber driver or a DoorDash person is absolutely a mission based. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is absolutely a mission based uh, um, occupation. Uh-huh. Somebody tells you to go deliver package from A to B, yep. and whatever challenges occur. <clears throat> no, no, I, I say it can be done in a slice of life game. It <laughs> yeah. won't be intense. Maybe. But it'll be there. <laughs> but a slice know. of life game isn't intense anyway. No, yeah. of course not. Yeah. It'll still be a mission, though. <laughs> it'll still be a mission. All right. So if missions work in any genre, what about systems? Do missions work in any game system, Jerry? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I've seen this run in pretty much any kind of system. Um, that said, there are some systems that handle this better than others. The systems that do this better are ones that have mechanics that optimize some of the following areas. The legwork phase like gathering intel, getting gear, uh, and games that streamline or eliminate planning. Um, and then there are games that are going to have that have preparedness during execution. This is really to simulate being prepared for the twist or other unexpected changes. So we're going to talk about a number of different games that do this well. Uh, 
like all the Forks of the Dark games are basically designed around missions. Um, the Sprawl. The Sprawl is the PBTA cyberpunk game that handles things fairly well. And um, that's the one where, uh, I, uh, the, for example, the Fixer, one of the things they get is assets and intel as they go through their, their prep work uh, and just generate the char- generate their missions each week <clears throat> like it's been. Um, Next mm-hmm. Black Agents uh, is basically designed around the idea that you're constantly going on missions being either given to you or that you're stumbling upon. Um, and even games like Cyberpunk did it well, where they had ways to accumulate gear and resources along the way. So lots of different games make it possible. Um, and almost all of these we've done have all been kind of modern games, but uh, there isn't fantasy games that can do this. And uh, I've never seen a game that doesn't have an ability to be a mission-based system. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Like I said, like, like, like you said, some, some of these just do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, since this is a workshop, we need to give out some GM advice. Exactly. What advice do you have for GMs who want to run mission-based games or even campaigns, Phil? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got, we got tips, man. We got lots of tips here. Um, all right. Well, here we go. Um, uh, here's a list of tips that are going to help your mission-based adventures go smoothly. Jer? All right. So first, make sure your players like the organization they're working for or have a good reason to take missions. And this is very, very important. <laughs> I noticed you changed this from your comment to my comments. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've played in a game where the entire game is mission-based and nobody in the party likes the group we're working for or trusts them. Um, and that goes badly as it goes. Uh, we're going to discuss that a little later when we get to the, uh, the second half of the show. But missions are packaged hooks. And your players and characters have to want to take those hooks. You have to either have them like the organization or have a good, good reason to take those missions. And if you're playing in a mission like this, make sure that if you're a player, make sure you take those hooks. They're brought out there for a reason. Yes. Um, take the bloody we hook. Like, we, do, we, do, we don't like the organization, but we take the hooks every time. So, all right, Phil. Yeah, next uh, next tip. Um, so make sure that – all right, so when you're, when you're giving the mission to the players yeah. – Make sure the target and objective are completely clear to the players before you finish giving them the mission. Yes. Um, the target and the objectives are the foundation of the mission. Even if you forget to tell them some of the other ancillary information, they'll go find that during the legwork phase if it's important to them. Mm-hmm. But if they misunderstand either the target or the objective to the target, everything else they do yeah is built up it's a house of cards at that point right like yep. you're just you know if they don't understand like you use some weird lingo or something um and what you mean is kill them but you're mm. you know you're playing shadow run and you're using some like cool shadow run lingo but not everybody at your table knows what that means and they don't get that the objective is kill them eliminate and they take the off threat. Run- oh, <laughs> eliminate the yeah. threat yeah neutralize the opponent Right. Yeah, yeah, neutral. Yeah. Right. Kill the some bitch. <laughs> well, and I'll say this, if you're playing in a game that has genre or and that's sorry, not genre, um lingo, yeah. you know, yeah. like Shadowrun, also pause, put up some parentheses and make sure it's clear when like Finger when when the yeah, like when the mob guys like I want you to whack them, you know, and if people I mean this is you know, like not that people don't understand that, but like then just be like he wants you to kill them. Yes. Right? Like because you really cannot. I can't yeah. stress this enough. If you if if you do not deliver this part clearly, yeah. everything else that happens 
goes awry. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. All Very right. big. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. The next thing, the biggest time sink is going to be the legwork phase of mission. You want to make this as smooth as possible for them. Yeah. Um, first part of that to help that is like be generous in giving intel. Um, like when a player makes a role uh, and they're successful, give them useful information and give them a bunch of useful information. Yeah. Um, you don't have to give them everything, but the more info you pack into a single check, the faster they will have enough information to finish making their plan. Right. If you do this wrong, the players just distrust the organization even more. Right. If they feel like they're not being given enough information or something's being held back from them, then they're just going to distrust them as they go. Oh, uh, it's a mess, right? Like it's, yeah. If players don't think they have enough, if players don't trust information or don't think they have enough, they just generate more. Yeah. And that's why, like, a lot of people who don't like running mission-based adventures will complain that it's not the mission they don't like, it's the legwork they don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, But also respect that if you're a player in a game, no one wants to drop into a mission site with bad intel or no intel. Right. Um, Or misleading intel. Yeah, like, that's fine when you're exploring a dungeon, but it's, like, different in in the mission-based genre. Usually that site... um, is you know like set up to actually kill you like in many cases i guess a dungeon is too in that way but it's different um i'll I'll do the next one and then i'll let you take the last one on 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 the on the three here um the other one which is kind of related to intel is gear um Mm -hmm. gear is there to gear is there to help but not totally remove challenges during the mission um so you want to let them get gear but you also kind of want to balance it with like, you don't want them to be able to just buy their way out of every problem. Right. So like if for instance, your mission site has this laser grid that your um, acrobatic thief has to cross through um, and the players are like, Oh, like we're going to buy this custom, you know, like we're going to, we're going to buy this custom mirror thing that like we slide through and it makes basically like a tunnel by reflecting all the um, mirrors, like buying it is kind of weak sauce, right? Cause it's just buying your way out of a problem. If the players are like, we want to build this mirror tunnel, which yeah, is going to yeah. be like a set of checks. That is cool. Yeah. And you let that happen. Right. But with gear, you're like, you want to let them buy bonuses but mm-hmm. not by solutions. Right. Um, and, and the way you, the way you modulate that is um, there's a limit to how much money they're going to be able to spend. Yep. There's a limit to how long it'll take to acquire. You can't just go down to the, like to Lowe's and buy like, you know, a mirror tunnel that, you know, yep. um, negates laser grids, right? Like no one's got that. Like some, like you gotta, you gotta order that from like a dude, and now wait like, a minute. There's a there's a spy shop on Niagara Falls Boulevard. So I yeah, I don't think that's stuff. what it's for. I think <laughs> that's not the same, right? I have seen that place, but I don't think that's what it's there for. Um, but anyway, like how long it takes to acquire things might be prohibitive. Like, oh yeah, you could totally get that thing, but it takes like six weeks to build, and you're like, oh no no, our like our window for this mission is in like one week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like it may not be easy to haul around, like. That's the other thing. Like, oh, sure, you can get like an EMP device, but it fills up a whole van. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and you know, again, the secret to gear: make yeah. life easier during execution. Don't buy your way out of problems. 
Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna find in a in a modern game. You're not gonna find a pocket pinch. Maybe in a sci-fi game, but yeah. not a modern game. Yeah. Uh, Jerry. So, so next section is planning. Um, we have and we can do again a whole episode on how to make planning more efficient. When done poorly, planning takes forever and it's frustrating. So you want to help facilitate this for the players. Do what you can. Uh, there are lots of good game mechanics out there for making planning work better. Um, but whatever you can, make sure the planning is quick and that you give the players the information they need to keep moving forward. Um, make it work for them. Just make it quick. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, yeah, and like I said, we could do a whole show on yeah. facilitating planning. Because, yeah. I mean, look, if you've ever watched players plan a thing, hell, if you've ever been a player who's had to plan something, um, you know that that's not always fun. Yeah. Um, which is why people love Blades in the Dark games because it um, because it eliminates doing like mm-hmm. anything more than the most basic plan possible. Um, and there's a real love for being able to do that in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, by all means, that's 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 the planning thing is a huge part of uh, what'll make a mission drag. All right. Um, the next one is: look, the twist should raise the stakes, but not negate the player's progress. Um, if their mission is to steal the prototype from the lab, don't make the twist that the prototype is not in the lab. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, unless unless your twist is your you know your mission handler screwed you, oh. um, or <laughs> like you know, and again, let me be clear. If it's not in the lab, but it's like in the next room or like it's in the other part of the building, like that's one thing. What I mean is like you snuck into the lab to find out the the prototype's never been here. I'm sorry, but your princess is in another fucking castle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you didn't like that twist that that's not going to raise the player stakes. That's going to piss them off or they're going to be like totally deflated. You finally did all this work to break in the lab. And like it's not, it was never here. And you, you know what? Get, they're never going to trust their. They're never going to yeah. trust that organization again either. Yeah. You nope. finally get to the room where the princess is being held, and she karate kicks you in the face. Yeah. It's like no. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. That's a good twist. I will. I will go with that one hundred percent. That's some. That's some eighties. That's some eighties video gaming right there, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. She's. I, I'm not familiar with that game. Karatica. There's a reason why I nicknamed Karataka Crotch Kicker. Okay, I don't think that's what it felt like. Okay. To the that makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. The to that is a better twist, though. You go to you go to rescue somebody they don't want to be rescued. Yeah. That's okay. I can go with that. But you go to rescue somebody and they're not even in the building. That's no fun. No, that's yeah. no fun. No. All right. I didn't mean to derail us. Um, no, it's okay. No, no, yeah. I, I I learned something new. I learned about a game I've never heard of. There I like that. Uh, so it's okay if the players plan to thwart the opposition and they breeze to the objective. Yeah. That's okay. It's a sign they did a good job. So it's all right to have some things work their way as long as you have the twist somewhere along the way. Yeah, I feel like some GMs sometimes are like, oh my God, they're like, like their plan's so good. Like they found like the, the weakness. They made all their roles. They're going to like totally get in and grab this. I should screw things up for them. Yeah, don't. Don't do that. Don't resist that urge. You know what players moment. like? Winning. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> every once in a while, regardless of what system you're playing, regardless of genre, you should give your players a moment where their characters get to be the total badasses that they are and everything goes right and they're like, woohoo. I- I've run games of Hydro Hackers where 
the players are on a tear and they're like hitting 10 pluses down the line. And it's like, <clears throat> yeah, you, well, you, you just fucking got away with that. Yeah. Like, like no one, ha- no one's any the wiser as you roll out of there with all that water. Mm-hmm. Like night. And then I, and then I usually applaud them. Like, yeah. Yeah. like nice job. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So totally legit. Okay. Um, next tip, um, the double cross trope. Right. Oh. So the double cross trope is a thing that exists yeah. in both this genre and of course in the jobs genre as well. Um, the double cross trope is one you should use very infrequently. Yeah. When I mean like very infrequently, I mean like once. <laughs> <laughs> like use it like once in your game. Yeah. Um, because if you use it more than once and the players think that every mission has a possibility of being a double cross, every plan they make will be 10 times more complicated yep. because yep. they'll not only make the plan for succeeding at the mission, they will start making the plan for being double crossed during the mission and trying to figure out where they're most likely be double crossed so that they can make the plan. Like, again, you want to see planning go exponentially like difficult and bad. Um, make them nervous about how solid their allies, their Intel and everything yep. else is a double cross is a special moment in this genre. And it is a moment that usually ends when the agents, after discovering they've been double crossed and they get away like barely alive, they come and kill the person who double crossed them. Yep, I was just going to say that once you double cross them, the mission stops being about the objective and it means about bloody rampage. And that's what happens. Yeah. And I will say, Chromatic Chameleon saying, like, make the campaign the double cross, not the session. I have seen um, games completely flip. Mm hmm. Because once the double cross goes in, they're not interested in any of that other stuff. They're here to finish off that target. Yep. Uh, and That's so, it. by all means, get that target in front of them if you want to go back to doing missions. Yeah. Plus, they'll also relax because if the person they double cross them is the person they put into the ground, mm-hmm. then they'll be like, well, that takes care of the double cross problem. Mm-hmm. But if you leave it murky, like, oh, somebody in the organization gave you bad intel. And could do it again. Dun, like dun, dun. you're just you're fucked. Like good luck running missions for this group anymore. Your your entire right. team may decide to overthrow the Rippers organization. Yes, <laughs> a sign that maybe your organization is not like as good as you'd like it to be. Yeah. All right, Jared, give uh, us the last tip before we hit um before we hit the end of this segment. All right. In the aftermath, always let the players know the bigger impacts of the mission, even if their characters don't know. Makes the mission feel more meaningful and will help create that emotional investment in the mission and what happens next. Yeah, I mean, players like, I mean, players, right? Not yes. even just characters. Players like to know, like, yeah. um, what did this mission do, right? Like, hey, you, you know, you, you, you know, like, hey, you caught that, you caught that guy, like your mission to go mm-hmm. and, you know, kidnap this uh, human trafficker um, has, you know, we, like, you know, the interrogation people got a whole bunch of intel out of them and they've disrupted, you know, their human trafficking network. And like all these kids were found and like, you know, are being returned home to their country. That makes like the players and the characters feel like really good. Like, mm-hmm. like, Hey, we did a good thing. Even if we took some like lumps or somebody died during it, like there's a meaning to it. Yep. Now you can also um, screw this. Tro- like you can subvert this trope as well. Like in yeah. cyberpunk, I will subvert this trope by making um, the aftermath um very trivial like ah yes like you've done this um and it results in like a two-point stock drop and like a whole bunch of people made a whole bunch of money on that stock drop 
right? Because that's just the dystopian shit of, yeah. of cyberpunk. Like you put your line, you put your body and your like you put your body and life on the line. So like some corpse could, you know, make some profit off of like a two point shift in the market. Yep. Right. Because that just reminds you that like, welcome to cyberpunk. You are the cog in the machine. Yep. So yep. you can totally subvert that um, that that tip. Uh, based on your game but if your game is like you're generally wholesome and good um or not even wholesome good if you're quote the good guys then stick with the original uh tip that jerry gave yeah all right cool um that's our overview of missions and some tips on running good missions we're going to take a break check in with chat room uh but first bob's going to tell us about another show on the misdirected mark network yes once again the not long ago renamed mastering dungeons which i think is a fabulous name rpg veterans and game designers teos abadaya and sean merwin look at the game and the hobby of DD from a variety of viewpoints reporting the news understanding the business reviewing the products and illuminating the design whether you're a fan a player a dm or a designer sean and teos cover topics of interest to you Yep. Check it out. I think it's a great show. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yay. What do we All got right. going on? Um, so Schmitty made a point to say that um, uh, even if um, – oops, the damn thing just moved. I uh, see it. Yeah. If a game is about missions, the game doesn't have to be – the system can be a, a, a system where you just do stuff, mm-hmm. and then it has missions in it. It doesn't have sure. to be missions – all the time yeah. and end of story period. Oh yeah, meant. absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's like so. For instance, like you could play, um, you could play a, uh, you could play a game in Ebron, oh. where you're, you know, an adventuring party doing stuff. Yeah. But for some arc or whatever, you get hired by a house to do some stuff for them. That is literally the Ebron campaign I'm running. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Like they 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 have. Their own plots they get involved in. They have some some small jobs they go on. They follow their own plots, and then every once in a while, one of the houses sends them on a mission. Yep. Yeah, and you know if you're running like a if you're running like a sci-fi game, like you could run like a Firefly thing where um, sometimes you do jobs, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you do jobs slash heists for yourself, and sometimes somebody gives you a bunch of money to go do a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could have your um, standard dungeon dungeon crawling campaign in the Forgotten Realms, where you're just out, you're doing you're doing dungeon crawls and 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 that kind of stuff, standard adventuring fare, and then you get hooked into a, a, a plot line where the, you know you end up having to go on this mission for the Zentarum, you know, and they're they're sending you out because you're expendable in a dirty dozen fashion, and uh, uh, just go do this thing, and then we'll forget your debt or whatever, and now you're on yeah. a mission. Go Zentarum. I mean, you can also do, and again, you can also do a whole campaign based on missions. Like, for instance, um, we're going to play a Star Trek Section 31 game. Like, where you like your whole job is to be behind the scenes, keeping the Federation um, alive, doing the things that, you know, Starfleet will never do. Or um, we're going to do a mission based game where you're part of, um, uh, what you call it, you're from the 31st century or 24th century, depending on uh, where it falls, where you're part of. keeping the timeline in order yeah you gotta be and careful actually, how that, you say that those could be though. what's that you say you gotta be careful how you say those because you said yeah. we're gonna play a, a, a game where we're section 31 running missions and i'm like ooh, 
but you didn't yes. really mean we're going to be doing that. You mean you could do that? <laughs> no, but it would be. I mean, yeah. look, some of that, <laughs> some of that could be. Too, I'm, not the same thing. I'm like, yeah. You know, when listen, do we start? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Star Trek's big, man. Like, it is. Start like playing a Section Thirty, like playing a Section Thirty-One campaign would be fun to like a short campaign to play. Like, you know, like look. That, that's not what Bob's saying. Bob's saying we both thought you were you were talking about that was our next game we were going to play. We were both excited about it. Yeah, I mean, look, we could talk, like, put it on a list. We could talk about that. That's not a, that's, I'm not opposed to running something like that. That'd be interesting. Um, I would also for, I would also for, um, for a somewhat lighter game that I think would be fun would be like being part of temporal corrections Mm -hmm. where we just pull um, various episodes from shows and it's like, well, this needs to happen and now it's currently not happening. So, you know, transport yourself onto Voyager and uh, let's, you know, let's get this fixed. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, mission based, the cool thing about mission based is like, you're right. It doesn't have to be a campaign framework, um, but it totally can be a campaign framework. Um, You actually have that option. You can throw it in as an adventure, as an arc, um, they're good one shots for, in fact, yeah. they're great one shots for conventions because they come with a built in oh, yeah. hook. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Yeah. Like you're all being hired to do this thing. Therefore we don't have to have any discussion about why, right? Like yep. you yeah. are hired to do this thing or, Hey, you're secret agents. And so you do missions and here's your mission, right? Fantastic. Um, fantastic tool for one shots. Yeah. This is fun. Look at everybody talking about. It. I love. See, I, missions are great. Like people, I wasn't when I was bag. I wasn't bagging on Cyberpunk to say that. Um, my my complaint was, I I feel like people only like when they think Cyberpunk, they just yeah. go to mission. Yeah, the um, default is Cyberpunk is a mission based game, whereas you don't have to play it that way. You, no, yeah, I, that, see, that, that that has never been. I, I think I think when I think Shadowrun, I think mission based games. Our Cyberpunk games were always. Um, you know, you are part of this neighborhood, or you're part of this, and you gradually over time get the missions. Because your first couple adventures are things like, you know, you're hanging out in the neighborhood, you find out that the local booster gang is shaking down uh, the local soup kitchen, so you guys decide to go do something about it. And then you find out somebody's kidnapped this, or somebody's still. We never, I mean, in the games I ran and games I played growing up with Cyberpunk, we almost never worked for anybody. That didn't come along until Shadowrun came out. And all of a oh, sudden, I, I, had a, I had a mix. I had a mix of stuff of like mm-hmm. stuff that you're saying. Plus, like, you know, once like after a few like after a few tumbles with the booster gang, like the mobsters would be like, hey, kids, you want to make some cash? Yeah, you know, like mission, but it wasn't it wasn't mission based for the entire it was rarely mission based. Oh, I've done and, and I've played I played games where we played like um like one of the characters was a corp. And so the re- the, the party was basically a corp team. And that one was very much like I will hand you missions. Yeah, uh, corporation. Yeah. When we played corporation, corporation was definitely mission based. Yeah, yeah, corporation's very. I can definitely mission-based. see that with corporation based. Corporation. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and you know, Trek. I mean, Trek can be mission based too, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at if you look at Trek, not so much Voyager because they're so by themselves, but DS Nine and TNG. Like, there's times where they're just like. Hey, Jake and I are going to build a you know solar sailing boat and sail across to Cardassia, mm-hmm. and like that's the whole adventure. And then sometimes it's like, hey, we're going to need you to blow up the Ketracel White facility, mm-hmm. right? Like, so like Star like Starfleet is Starfleet's interesting in that um, 
Starfleet's interesting in that, like, when you are a Starfleet captain and you have a ship, you have um, a very broad mission. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, go explore this area. But then sometimes Starfleet calls you and is like, hey, um, we need you to stop what you're doing and we're yeah. going to need you to do a thing. You know, it just um, so happens it, that you're the only ship in like eight million light years <laughs> that, that can get to this place. Do the mission. Yeah. And, and that's and, and again, it's and, and again, it's really good in that way, because um from a beat structure perspective, uh, like if you look at TNG, right? Like sometimes like, Hey, we're just cruising through, through space and oop, weird space thing that we have to deal with. And other times it's like, Hey, we need you to pick up this ambassador and like get them over here without getting yourselves killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you know, and then like in terms of beats, you can just change in and out of that. Yeah. Right. Like it's cool. Yep. I agree. All righty. Uh yeah. You wanna should we head back in? So we should probably jump back into the second part of this topic, which is the round table segment where we're going to share our experiences both playing and running missions, starting with this question. Uh yeah, as a player or GM, what is your favorite thing about mission based adventures? I like the fact that it gives simple direction to the players and the characters, not telling them exactly how they have to do it. Like, go here, we need this objective taken. And then you just sit back as a GM and let them create the rest of the story. Um, you've got your objective. You've got their. You've got your opposition. Give them the intel and uh, let them kind of run with it and see what they're going to come up with. Because they're always going to surprise you with what they've got planned, what gear they want, what uh, how they plan to to, to uh, attack the problem. I don't mean physically attack, but just go at it. Um, you know, you might be planning on a and a simple, uh, you know snatch and grab and they decide to make it a, a, a seduction or a honeypot mission or something like that and all of a sudden all bets are off i love that i love the fact that they've got direction so they don't have to guess at what they need to do it's just how they want to do it they take it from yep. there that's what i like about it bob i like it when the system makes it easier okay Ooh. so there's not much worse than spending hours coming up with a shitty plan and then going into the mission basically winging it because your plan sucked yeah <laughs> When the system gives you tools to framework a plan without having to spend hours at it and then allows you to retcon, flashback, whatever, to fill mm-hmm. in the gaps in the plan, quote-unquote, that's the best. There are no bad plans. Only bad dice rolls. <laughs> oh, there's bad plans. <laughs> there's bad plans. I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't have a job if everyone could naturally plan a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What about you, Phil? Um, you know what? I, as a GM, the thing I love about mission play, mission-based games is um, I love seeing what players come up with. In my youth, I would construct the mission as well as the optimal path to solve the mission. And then, oh. you know, just kind of gently nudge the players onto that path. Um, but, like, years ago, I stopped doing that. And what I basically do, and I think John Rogers put this in his um, Fate World, um, uh, uh, what you call it, Fate World entry, uh, back when uh, Fate Core first came out. Uh, I just build the box, right? So, like, I give you the target, the location. I, I like I I put together the target, the location, the opposition, um, and I make it as as reasonable, as realistic as the genre dictates, right? Like, yep. like you know, they've got this much security, whatever. And then I just hand, like, I just give the information to the players and see what they come up with. Um, And so I love, um, 
this is where I love games like PBTA and Fate and things like that that have partial successes or success with a cost mm-hmm. because um, we just start rolling dice to see what happens, and then we just start playing off of those um those roles like you know like oh you can totally you know oh yeah you totally dis you're gonna disarm that with a consequence yeah you disarm the alarm but uh unbeknownst to you there's a red light flashing um you know in another room across the compound right like or the you know the building's ai has taken notice that there's some anomalous you know there's some anomalous readings going on in the in the lobby um, I, so I just, I love, um, I love just like letting that play out. I, I don't like planning. So I also like, if we're going to do mission-based games, cool. I want to, I want a system that, um, that facilitates that for the same reason that Bob said, right? Like, um, I, so first of all, as a GM watching players plan is never exciting to begin with Boring. as a project manager sitting quietly <laughs> watching players plan, um, can also be frustrating because, you know, I want to jump in and facilitate and be yeah. like, you know, like go to the whiteboard, guys. Like write, come like on. come on, like you know, yeah. like write this down, like diagram, like you know. <laughs> You're not so, taking into account the yeah. security system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, guys, did you mm, security mm, right? Like, so um, I really like I really like games that handle legwork. Like um, uh, the Sprawl does a really good job of it. Yeah. Um, of course, like every you know. Um, every uh forge in the dark game yeah like uh-huh. it, like they do they do such a good job of this because they're just like don't worry about the planning we got other mechanics that like like the flashback mechanic and stuff that'll compensate yeah. for it uh-huh. and that's that feigned preparedness right like or i should say not feigned that simulated preparedness yeah. which um night black night night's black agents also has um and is a thing i love yeah cool yeah that's me like that's i but that's for me what it is is it's the um it's the surprise. Like I remember, and I'll just really quick and then I'll release, I'll release this. We'll go to the next question. Um, uh, at the last queen city conquest, 2019, um, I had this whole mission. Um, and I don't even remember now the whole, Oh, I know what it was. It's the, um, it's the one with the ice. Yeah. The casino buys this block of blue ice. Uh Um, and they're going to, you know, they're going to put it on display and, I have just this like in the notes for the adventure. It's like the blue ice will be transported, you know, uh, by airship to, you know, to this location driven by truck um, taken to the casino. The truck convoy is like really dangerous. Like it's not a good idea to attack the truck because it's heavily armed by the um, by the water authority. But, you know, the casino is a somewhat softer target, et cetera, et cetera. And in one of the runs and in one of the runs, the players are like, you know, what we're going to do. We're hijacking the airship. Okay. And I was like, oh, of Zeppelin heist. Like, <laughs> dun, dun, okay. Dun. That wasn't even in, that was like, I didn't even consider like yep. stealing it at the point of origin, right? Yeah. Like most most other groups take it from the casino. Yep. But th- like this one group was like, what if we get on the airship and route it to another location, right? Oh. And in fact, they took it one step further. They actually switched, they used the hacker to switch the identity um uh, transponders on two different airships sent the other airship to Buffalo with no ice on it, took the other one to a soft, softer target in Cleveland where they melted it and put it into the pipe system and got it and, and got it away. Nice. And I was like, I, I had none of that in like any of my notes. And I was like, 
oh, we're just playing this out. Like, come on, let's make some rolls. Yep. Like, let, like let's do this, baby. Like, this is. And those are the and kind of ask, surprises you love as a GM. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. I mean, one, I'm playing on my toes the whole time because I'm like, literally, I have nothing for any of this. But like, cool, let's just make some rolls. Let's let's find out what happens here. But yeah, it's like, and even the ones like even the ones where the players did heist it in the middle of the casino, those were totally fun, too. Uh Um, So that's that's it. That's that's what I that's I love, (laughs) love that. I love that surprise about what how the players are going to solve problems. Chair. All right. Question number two. As a player or GM, what's your biggest challenge about running or playing a mission-based adventure? Yeah. So as a player, it's definitely not overthinking when you plan. That's just Mm -hmm. such an easy trap to fall into. And that's why I like systems that streamline that stuff for you. When you don't have to sit there and try and come up with a plan that feels quasi-foolproof, like you've got all the bases covered... If the system abstracts that for you so that you can go and do yep. a flashback or a quick retcon, <laughs> bam, you're good. If you end up sitting there for a whole session trying to plan something out and it's like, oh, oh it's, uh, no it's, um, thank you, evil. <laughs> it's so it's so brutal. Yep. That, that's, that's why I've adapted the, I think it was the Savage Lankmar that had the heist mechanic, which was really basically players get five minutes to talk about the plan. After that, Everybody picks what their skill roll is. It makes a skill roll. And then for every success and, and bonus of success, you put a heist Benny in the center of the table. Then they go and they pull off their planet. They can pull that heist Benny to take narrative control, do a flashback, have a piece of gear they need, whatever. Yep. That, that's it. Five minutes of planning, then move on. And uh, the, the there's one, and I'm not sure going to call this a drawback to that, but the one thing that happens is once players do that once, they turn everything they do into a heist. And I'm not sure that's the bad thing. <laughs> but, but, but anytime they can heist something, they will do it, um, which oh, can be fun. But no, I, I like that. I, I think that you need to have some sort of uh, some sort of system to streamline that. Yeah. Um, should we? I, I, go ahead. We'll, we'll remind me in the after. Remind me in the uh, in the uh, we have we should talk about another game that's out for uh, Bundle of Holding this weekend. Falls right into this. So go ahead. Okay. So, sure. Um, for me, like my biggest, my biggest, uh, challenge is like, I'm not always good at making the twist hit hard enough. Um, mm-hmm. I, I get, I, I often, um, I become such a fan of the players that like, if they're on a roll, like, I don't even really want to jam them up with a twist. Cause I'm just like, Oh, you guys are doing so good. Like <laughs> yeah. you're like, your plan's pretty good and your roles are good. And I just like, I love your characters. Like, yeah. you know, so sometimes I hesitate flinch or I don't. Um, like I don't drop the twist hard enough. Like Uh maybe like, instead of having like a room full of, like a, like a bunch of security guys, um, you know, uh, surprise them. I'll have like a guy surprise them. Right. Like, so they will be like, Oh shit, a guy. And then, but like in a second or two, somebody takes them out. Right. Like it's, it's, I just, I never, um, and I guess my other fear is right. Cause the other flip side of that is that I'm going to hit too hard. Yeah. Right. Like you guys did such a good job. And then just like, bam, like I like I just, you know, I hit you with like, you know, sleep gas that like had a DC that none of you could overcome. And like now you're all screwed. So the twist is always the hardest part for me. It's like getting enough twist without um, overdoing wrecking it. it. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jer? Uh, For me, um, it's always uh, trying to make sure that you make the organization someone they want to work with. Um, and that's something that's important to do because uh, you can try as hard as possible. It's just like trying to make an NPC that everybody wants. 
Um, and uh, for example, I, I'm in a campaign right now where I have most of the players, uh, at least at the time we were playing it, we don't like the organization and we distrust them entirely to the point that at one point while the GM was taking a bathroom break, we were planning on how to overthrow the organization and or just slaughter everybody in it. And, uh, and the problem was because we kept getting either lack of intel or bad intel over and over and over again. We never got gear. We were basically told, here, go do this mission, and we're giving you nothing for it. By the time we – the number of times we went on a mission and found out that, you know, we were being set up, we were being double-crossed, and we thought there was somebody in the organization that was working for the bad guys. It turned out that there were, like, nine of them. Um, at that point, we didn't want to work with them anymore. And yeah. we're, we're kind of along for the ride because that's the, that's the monthly game. But uh, at this point, look at that. Now, also, as you're playing the adventure, um, look back on previous adventures that you run and see how they worked out. Because you want to make sure that the players um, in organizations oh. that you do underfunded, did they ever feel like they had lack of intel? Did the villain get away again? Hmm. You know, were there too many coincidences? Um, I recently ran the Eberron Adventure uh, Secrets of the Vampire's Blade, where the players are supposed to big surprise, we're out in Capture Vampire. And by the time I got to the second leg of the story, I realized that the entire adventure was the player show up, the bad guy gets away, the player show up, the bad guy gets away, the player show and it's nobody nobody wants to play that game. So I had to rewrite the entire second half of it and change change it so that the organization had given them enough information to kind of cut them off at the pass and reduce their reduce their their uh, the resources and so on and catch the bad guy at the right time. Um, it's that kind of thing you sometimes have to to go over. My my video just froze. Apparently, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can yeah, hear, can you, hear you, but you, you're you're just okay. Good. Okay, like making a weird face. Okay. Oh, what a lovely picture. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So anyway, that so I like to, to make sure the organization somebody want to work with and make sure that, that the players keep getting the resources they need without overwhelming them. But make sure they have that intel. Make sure they have that information. Make sure that they want to work for that organization. Yeah, and I will even say if this. it's an enemy. I, yeah. I will say this: If you're rolling your own game, right? So you're not using a like Ooh. a prepackaged um, setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, invite your players to help build the organization. Yeah, yeah, right? like, 100%. like, yeah, like, look, we're gonna, yeah. like, we're gonna make, like, look, we're making a clerical order here that you guys are going to work for. Let's let's talk about like which clerical or, clerical order is it? Which you know what god is it? What um mm-hmm. you know like yep. what's the goals of this organization? Because um. You know, again, any time that you let players invest, um, one, they'll love letter the stuff they want. Yep. Right. So they'll tell you like, oh, you know, oh, our group definitely fights like demonic incursions. Guess what they want. Right. Like mm-hmm. they want to go on missions yep. where demons have, you know, broken into, the, you know, into this realm, uh, which is great. Yep. Right. Because that love letter is exactly like that love, love letters, things that you can run for them. But also, um if they help to build it, it'll align with their characters as well. Yes. Yep. Because you're right. Yep. Like if you have an organization where, you know, you, the players are like, I think we should just murder the organization that's giving us missions. You're like, that's not good mission based game. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. That will put us at question three as a GM. Oh. What is your secret sauce for running missions? Uh, I like locations, man. I like um, I like picking weird and interesting locations for missions. Um, 
so that could be like a cool puzzle box location that's going to require some work to get into, right? Like a super secret facility that you got to kind of get through some layers of security to get into. Um, but if I would, if I have a, um, if I have kind of a type that I really like, uh, I like putting missions in public places. Um, either the public place is a front or a cover for something. Like I love those. Um, that secret world thing is like one of my favorite tropes. Um, or I like just like the players have to deal with the public. Like in that blue ice adventure, um, the block of ice is in the middle of a casino for a party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's not in a warehouse for you to steal. Nope. It's in it. Like it's, it, it's going to be in the middle of the casino unless you intervene before it. But I like seeing how people are going to handle that. And so, and I, you know what, and players like it too. Um, because like when you have public stuff, then you have disguises, yeah. right? You have, you know, like you have disguises, you have um, uh, conning people, um, things like that. Right. So those are just like, um, oh, those, those are, are just great. like fun skills for players yep. to take advantage of. So I love like when I'm sitting there coming up with the a, social skills is, is a good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because especially if, if you're doing a mission based game, somebody's the face, right? Like somebody's uh-huh. um, in somebody's invested their points in social um, so you should let them social, oh. but yeah, like I, I will, when I come up with a mission, like I spend extra time, uh, pondering, like, what is this location? Um, I, I don't know if you guys remember our first, um, uh, sprawl, uh, the first time we ran sprawl, we ran that yep. one adventure. Um, and the adventure was to steal the most expensive bottle of scotch, yep. right? It was mm-hmm. delivered by orbital to this hotel penthouse. Yep. Right. So like, you know, I like and then I went into like some, you know, detail about like, you know, well, what, what does the penthouse look like and the hotel? Oh. Like, I, you know, it's in public. You can't just smash and grab this thing like those kinds of things. So location for me is really um, that's kind of my jam when it comes. Hmm. To, and I'll, I'll admit it to right for jobs and heists and stuff. Um, uh, it's also my jam. Like yeah. it's one of the reasons why I love um, uh, Ocean's Eleven. Oh. Right. Like I love I love the idea that, you know, you're going to steal this in the middle of like you're going to steal three casinos money, like in the middle of fight night. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, Jerry, how about you? I like to give them control of how the missions can be played out. Uh, I will plan my plot. Um, the one thing I do like to do when I plan a mission is I like to at least come up with some idea of how I think they would do the mission. I'll throw it out the door, but I like to at least have some idea so that if they get stuck on ideas, sure. so depending on your group. You, if you have, depending on your groups, they might need some some hints. You can give them some pushes. But after that, I just let them do what they want to do. Um, and feel free to completely um, roll the entire story up. So if I plan on them kidnapping the executive as, at his estate and they decide to grab him on his AV4 on his way home from work, so be it. I'm not going to make him suddenly be home before they get there. Uh, I'll take, I might even tell them, give me a second to redo this and go from there. But, uh, adjust the plot to fit their plan. You might have to move your twist around. Um, you have to change who they're going to be do with. Um, whatever. But just uh, go with it and make the mission entertaining and make it feel like their planning and plots mean something. Mm-hmm. It's never going to go smoothly, especially if they go off go off what you expected, especially because they go off the expected because you don't know where it's going. But it'll be entertaining for them because they feel like the things they did meant something. Even if the mission fails, they'll feel like they accomplished something along the way because their plan was working in one way or another. And I like that a lot. That's what I do. Give them control of how the missions can be played out. Don't force them. Um, I hate to use the term railroad, but 
what people think of as a railroad don't do yeah. that. Uh, adapt the plan to fit what they're doing. So. Yeah, I, I guess the best way to say it is it's not so it's not so much a railroad as it's um, the big flaw that people have sometimes when they are um, GMing, like they're writing their own missions, is mm-hmm. that they basically write the only solution to the yes. mission. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like, so they, so in a way it becomes kind of like a railroad because again, a railroad is uh, mm-hmm. when players choices don't actually matter. Mm-hmm. So if you've built your fortress so that really the only thing you can do to get into it is to go down the air vent, you've yeah. railroaded that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, like if you've built your fortress and it has an air duct, but the players are instead like, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to go to like, we're going to break into this guy's house, steal his uniforms, forge some credentials. And we're going to go right in through the front door. Like, and yeah. and then you're like, nope, you can't. Right. Like yeah. you get turned away at the door or whatever. You have to go down the air vent. Right. That's a railroad yeah. as yeah. opposed to just like as opposed to having like one way to break into the facility is, you know, the air duct system. Mm-hmm. Like if you come up with something very, else. So be it. We'll do it. Yeah, it's that's, two very different things. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's, and, that's, and Jerry, you're good, right. Yeah, it's a good place for you know we're going to do this. You know, I plan on going to the air duct, but if they want to do this thing. Great. How do you do that? Yeah, and, and we'll move with that from there. You know, give me that story. Let's run with this. Let's have a good time with it. You know. Yeah, I mean, usually I ask like, what does this look like? Mm-hmm. Like, well, how's this? How's this working? Yep. Like, what are you guys doing? Um, but yeah, you can you can totally create a mission. Where you like, and I mean, as as a middle schooler and early high schooler, like I've I have played and I probably wrote and run missions that were um, railroad missions. Oh, have yes. Oh yeah. So, absolutely. I, I want to mention before we cut. Um, I guess I guess we can one. We can basically say that because um, there's a question in the or a comment in the chat. I really want to get to, but I guess we can just say. Um, as kind of a wrap up um, like this, you know, this was our kind of look at um, look at missions and that, um, you know, if you're going to be running missions either as a campaign or as a one-off, like we hope some of these um, tips and tricks will help you. And now I want to just jump into the chat room real quick mm-hmm. um, and address um, chromatic chameleon um, who brings up a fantastic point. Yes. Um, missions are proactive adventures, Yes. right? Missions are, the type of adventure where uh, you as the GM hand the objective to the player and then the players have to kind of take the initiative to come up with the plan and execute and execute the plan. Uh, There are players who don't enjoy doing that. Um, There are players who um, want to be um, like more just along for the ride. Um, And that's where something like a location-based adventure, like a dungeon crawl, um, or searching a derelict spaceship or something like that um, works really well because that's um, that's a little more passive, right? Like uh, you find the derelict spaceship, you know, with the distress beacon uh, going off. Cool. We should probably like board it and see like what cool stuff is in there or if there are people in trouble or whatever, yep. you know, only to find out that basically you're in space dungeon, right? Like, yep. like that kind of thing. And that's okay. Right. Like that's a play preference play style. Right. Um, and, and to drop, um, a, like to drop a lot of missions on a group that doesn't dig being proactive or coming up with um, plots and stuff like that, you're not going to have fun because yeah. they're not going to dive in and want to like plan it up and do it. 
um, they're not going to have fun, right? Because they're expecting like that. This isn't the thing they want to do. I will say though, it's worth having a conversation to find out what part of a mission based thing they do not like, because if they're like, look, uh, we don't really want to come up with plans or something. You can just go find like, that's, that's your sign to like, cool. Let me introduce you to a few games that do missions without plans. Yep. Right. Like that's like, that's when you make the argument, like, like, yes, but let's play blades in the dark. Yep. Right. Like, or let's play scum and villainy. Like, oh, you want to play sci-fi, but you want to, like, we can do missions without you having to do the part of the missions you don't like. Absolutely. Um, you know, like, cool, let's play scum and villainy for those kinds of things. But it is important to note that it is a proactive kind of thing. Like, you hand it to the players, and then as a GM, you got to sit back for a bit and be reactive to the players as they search for intel, as they work on their plan, as they acquire gear. And then once they're ready and they jump into the execution like then you're back into like a more traditional like you're doing this i'm doing this back and forth kind of thing Uh so um it's worth having um it's worth having that conversation and if you have a group that doesn't like missions it's worth talking about like what don't you like about missions Uh Um, and it and you know it could be the mechanic thing it could be like look uh we don't like taking orders from people Right. Like we're like, you know, our, our chaotic party doesn't take orders from any organization, in which case, may I introduce you to jobs and heists, yep. right? Like, yep. how about cool? Then, yeah, like we're not going to have an organization that tells you stuff. How about you guys tell me the things you want to do and we'll like and I'll write up those like sites and you can like go at them. Yep. Right. That's another like, I'm you know, just kind of tossing out reasons why people might not might not want to play missions. Um, so yeah, like there's, there's options, there's ways to, there's ways to deal with it, but I've had groups, um, in the past that have been very much like, I don't want to be proactive about anything. I'm, I'm here to, I'm, I'm, I'm here to cruise through the story, uh, get, you know, chop, chop, tell the story, Phil. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, for a while I did that and, uh, now I play with a different group. So, (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah. So um, it's definitely like, again, um, like with everything, right? Um, So here's the thing I've realized, right? All universal GM advice is basically talk to your players. Yeah. Yeah. Our job now is to help you know what to talk to your players about. Yep. Exactly. Ultimately, you still have to go talk to your players. Yep. But perhaps we can arm you with better questions uh, and better ideas of like what, like what they might not like or what kind of questions to ask to tease out what they don't like. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. I just wanted to get that in because I yeah, saw that absolutely. I, I that, saw that, that comment a, go by, and I was like, "Oh no, no, we got to talk about proactive, um, yeah. proactive games because that's like that. That's cool. We need to do that." Yeah. Senda also uh, regaled us with a, a, a description of one of her not great college gaming experiences. It wasn't a mission based thing, but uh, the DM put a trap in a room to which he had yeah. not planned a solution. He oh. wanted to see what they came up with to get out, but. He also let them fail every single role and skill they tried to get out until 30 or 40 minutes later. They were all absolutely frustrated, and he had to deus ex machina them out. And they were all like, what the hell was the solution? And he said, oh, there wasn't one. That's the GM. I could do a, I could do a whole show <laughs> on everything wrong with, with that scene. That's the yeah. GM trying to be clever, uh, and he's not. Right? <laughs> if you think you're being clever, is. you're not. At the moment where you're like, I'm going to design this trap, 
And then you smile to yourself and you're like, that has no solution. Yeah. Stop. Stop right there. Hit the backspace button (laughs) on your notes. Yep. Backspace up and write in. Yes. Bad. That's bad. Some kind of solution. Yes. Oh, or, or I mean, but the other part is like, oh, I was, I'm not gonna have a solution. I'm gonna wait to see what the players come up with. Then you have to pick one. Yeah. yeah. Like on um, like the third one. Like yeah. or roll it. You know, here's what you do. You roll a six sided die behind the screen. Of, like when they walk in the room, and whatever the third, like I, I roll a three. Whatever the third person says, that's the solution. Yep. Yep. That's exactly. Yeah. It. You got not. Give there's them no the solution. <laughs> and then you Deus Ex Machina. At, oh boy. Bad, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, a ways, lot, there's a lot of problems with there. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a yeah. There's 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 like it's an onion. That's an onion problem. Yeah. Like, there's many layers. Many many, and it'll make you cry. Like oh, both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Like I mean, look. This is why we do the show. Yep. These things well, still happen. This is exactly. Like these. Show. All right. So Jerry uh, made oh. a note. We we should talk about one more game. Um, that kind of fits into this uh, this mm-hmm. topic. Not kind of. Well, kind of because it's a heist yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. But it works. Before we hit into Very the well. uh, conversation corner. Go ahead, Jerry. Uh, this Today on Dusk, and I believe until tomorrow, on Bundle of Holding, they're doing Dusk City Outlaws. And Dusk City Outlaws is literally a game about heists. And the bundle has uh, the core game, I think, has the, the, the core game and, and, and four heists. And then... If you go for the larger one, you get extra ice. It's a really fun game that involves uh, players. The players play on the heist. The GM picks a couple twists and puts them in, and then you pull off the heist. And so it's about doing all sorts of strange and, and, and fun adventures. Uh, I believe it's a fantasy setting uh, for the initial one. Um, and I haven't. I was going to actually sign up and grab it today. But it's a really good deal if you want to do heists or learn how to run heists. Play the game a couple times. Yeah. It'll teach you how to do heist real well. Um, it's a really fun game. It's kind of a half role playing game, half board game. Yeah, They're that's the big, the big draw of Dusk City Outlaws. Is it's kind of like you open the box and you just go. It's got everything you need to just put it out on the table and run. Yep. I'm kind of and, curious about what the PDF version of that will be like. Yeah, it's uh, a little I, more. I, I remember playing it, and I don't think I think we did it all with uh, like dry erase cards. I don't think we did anything. Besides yeah, I mean, you can just do it. You just, cards. It's, yeah, it's. If you're sitting down at a table with the box, it's it's super nice because mm-hmm. they got everything there to to give you that experience with that one little box set. So, oh, it's okay. a cool game. The bonus the bonus collection includes uh, eight uh, eight more jo- eight or nine more jobs plus rules on playing long on playing the the long game in uh, Dusty Outlaws. Nice playing longer quests and adventures. Very so, cool. Looks pretty good. And right now the Level up price is only eighteen dollars, so it's a good deal. So looks yeah, if you're good. into that kind of thing, that's a good price for that. Yeah, uh, which which I am. So uh, while we're in the after show, I may grab that before it goes away. Yeah, it goes up there even you any go. higher. There you go. Yep. So uh, no, but it's it just it's a good game, and uh, if you want to try heist, give it a shot. So all right, awesome. all right, let's roll out into the conversation, conversation corner then. I agree. Yep. And if I can find the button, there we go. Button, button, who's got the button? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, um, as Phil talked about in the uh, one thing, we had our uh, our latest iHunt session this past Sunday, 
and it was a really good time. As Phil said, he he wanted to evoke a particular feeling uh, or or um, type of person with the picture that he chose for the prote- or the antagonist of this uh, of this mission. And I want to see the, this picture one of these days. <laughs> he put the picture up, and we're all like, "Oh, smarmy douchebag." Okay, yeah, that's yep. uh, yeah, okay, that works. <laughs> hedge, hedge fund douchebag. Hedge fund douchebag. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we uh, we immediately did not like this dude, um, and uh, and also um, he's driving a car that's registered to his rich father. So you know, daddy, well, you, you discovered one of his aspects. Yeah, What's his, his aspects? Aspect? Is perhaps Do you, remember? you know my father? <laughs> yes, perhaps you know my father. I'm like, oh, I hate this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this guy so much. But yeah, my uh, my character um, was tooling around Philly. Um, tailing this guy, um, spending money that he should not be spending for like Ubers to to move around town because <laughs> I don't have transportation of my own, and public transportation doesn't always uh, facilitate when you want to tail somebody or stuff like that. And I got to do the thing where it's like I climbed into an Uber and said, "Follow that Uber," <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that um, that game has is so much potential with the with the group that we're playing with. So far, it's hit all the right notes, and and I think we're just gonna we're gonna have a ball with it. Um, There's something about that particular group, yeah. the three of you, where playing things that have both a fantastic and a real world component. Mm-hmm really gel with you guys yeah for whatever reason we we take to that and we come up with compelling characters we do compelling things and we play off of each other and we we self-compel very easily (laughs) yeah i got no worries about you guys getting fate points in this game yeah no no problem there so I really do like that imperil. Um, I, I like that imperil mechanic, mechanic is nice. because it's specific. So where so to contrast it, right? A compel is um, I'm going to give you this fate point because one of your aspects is going to make th- this situation more difficult in a fun way, yeah. like interesting way, yeah. I should say. And I could say no um, and give you a fate point from my pile and say I don't want yep. you to compel me. That's fine. Exactly. Yeah. But the imperil is um, different. The imperil is you present two equally bad choices um, and the, and the player has to pick one now players. So players can imperil monsters. Um, Like here's the rule of thumb. When a GM imperils a player, you don't do it during combat with the monster. You do it when real life uh, makes your life shitty. Uh, When you fight the monster, you have, you have enough challenges on your own, just like play that out. But when players get, um, when they take a, a serious or major consequence, they can then imperil one of the monster's aspects, um, which then gives them another advantage in the fight is that they can then present the monster with two shitty decisions. Like I'm going to lure you into this room with fire rather than letting you get away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes, especially this particular mission where this guy like, I think I think personally, he's just playing with powers beyond his his comprehension, and and like the other two are like, we need to kill him. He's the bad guy, and I'm like, he's a human being playing with stuff that he shouldn't ought to be playing with. Right? He's playing with magic. He's not a werewolf going around and just ripping people's hearts out. 
Okay. Uh, no, to be clear, he's a hedge fund manager that if this is the guy, uh, he's using magic to try to run people out of their houses so he can buy them up on the cheap. Yes. Consider, while... consider that werewolf might not be the worst thing in no, the environment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That being said, my moral compass is like this guy should go to prison for a very long time for being a douchebag hedge fund manager. But <laughs> I don't know if we can particularly get him thrown in jail for, you know, the this magic use stuff is something that the police just probably would not understand. One, they'll, one, they'll probably not. But two, yeah. do you want to let that douchebag into the illegal system? No, with no all way. that, with all that privilege and money, no, because nope. he'll skate because his daddy's <laughs> no. rich. No, and that's and and that's you know, and again, that's part of um. So part of I Hunt, right, yep. is that part of the horror of that game is capitalism. Yep. Right, like they well, like you live like in you basically live in society, but you're super poor and marginalized. So, like, who's gonna listen to you? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that. That yeah. game's gonna be awesome. Um, yeah, it's looking, it's looking good. It's looking yeah. really promising. Um, I, I mentioned the, the new car in the, in the one thing. Um, and I, this is the kind of car shopping where it's like, I already knew that if I got out of this rogue, I was going to get into another rogue and they're just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to take all your payments that you've got left on this and we're going to make them go away. We're going to give you this one at a reasonable price with the discount and this and that and the other thing. And no money out of pocket, and uh, and you get to walk out with this payment right here. Is that acceptable? Okay. Yeah, I like that. That's good. And then I signed all the paperwork, and I was done. That's car shopping done done the easy way. That's the easy button. Instead okay. of going from dealership to dealership looking for the best price, finding a salesman that's not going to be a total douchebag, you know, all that all that pain oh, and suffering God, that you no, could go through. No. Didn't even have to worry about it. I love that. That's the way to go. (laughs) Hey, I, I loathe car shopping. It's the reason I own, it's the reason I own six Saturns. Yeah. Because that was my favorite way to buy cars. Saturn didn't fuck around with that shit. Yeah. They're just like, what do you got? How much money? Like, let's, that's why my, I'm seriously tempted as much. And I love West her. Right. So I'll give him a shot. But honestly, I'm like 10 seconds from like the next time I buy a car, I'm like ready just to go to Carvana. Like I'm ready to just go to a web page and be like, We're I can spend this much money. I have this much money to put down. I need, you know, four door sedan. What do you got? Yeah. Yep. Plus, cool. I'm, I'm super curious that. about, you know, like, do we have a fucking car vending machine nearby that you could go put a big coin in and it's right. That, that thing's dope. Like, look, if, if, if I could also do that, that would be cool. But even yeah. if the flatbed just shows up yeah, and, and drops the car in my house. like front, like, you know, in yeah. front of my house. Also cool. Yeah. I, I would, I, I would, I would love. To, after my last car buying experience, I would love that so much. Yeah, I, I feel bad for people who are car salesmen who have like a career in car salesmen. It's, it's I, honestly like I. If you guys would run things like the Saturn, I would just come to you guys, and yeah. I did. My yeah. Saturn guy, I had the same Saturn guy for like fifteen years, um, and I loved him. Like he was yeah. great. And John and I, like you know, I'd come in. You know, we'd do the paperwork on a new car. I just don't want to play games. Yeah, I don't have any time. I don't really have any inclination for it. Um, I, you know, like I'd rather just walk out my, so like my father loves that stuff, right? My father like plays it like a sport, right? I don't know if he still does, but in in his youth, like for him, like he would get excited when it was time to buy a new car because he just wanted to spar with these guys, right? Go do the dance. Like, yeah. And I'm just like, like the, I don't know, the pseudo communist in me is like, look, you need money. I have money. 
I want to spend this much. If you have a car that's this much, I don't even want to bleed you on it. I'm happy to spend this much for a car. Yeah. Yep. Like, it, like, like, how about we just do that? Yeah. Right. Like, I'm not going to try to get you to go trouble. below MSRP. Like, yeah. And you're not going to yeah. try to sell me a car I can't afford. Right. Yeah. Like, right. like, let's just meet right here and let's just not bullshit about this. Yeah. But see, that that was what it was like when I had the old Chrysler dealer I dealt with. But now he only sells, sells Volkswagens and Audis. Yeah. And even the even the, the salesman I met with for my new minivan, he wasn't too bad. But as soon as the sales manager got involved. Uh, we almost walked. I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, it was it was bad. Yeah. Um, These guys uh, always treat me right, so I'm happy with them. So. Yeah. No, I'm. Uh, yeah, mm. I gotta find a better price to give in my neighbor in that area. So. <laughs> so I had uh, I had quite the adventure over the last couple of weeks uh, playing a lot of Valheim, and my mm-hmm. system, the video card that I bought for my computer when I got it. Um, I didn't pick huge specs because I thought to myself, oh, I'm never going to play video games. I don't play video games. I'm going to play Minecraft. So as long as this thing can handle Minecraft, I'm good. Ah, you know, whatever. Until I started playing Valheim. And then I'm like, oh, the GPU on my video card is like constantly pinned at like 98%. The fan's working overtime. It sounds like an aircraft carrier or an aircraft trying to take off. And I'm like, uh, and I keep getting like stuttering and jitters and, 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 and crap like that. So I had to turn down a whole bunch of settings and the video settings were so low that Jerry's constantly going, Oh man, look at all these ferns that are coming up through the floorboards. And I'm like, what ferns? I couldn't see them because my video settings were turned down to the point where they didn't show them. (laughs) Oh, so I was like, Oh, I'll get a new video card. No problem. So I looked at the specs for my current one. I found something that had similar specs that would go in the slot I had, yada, 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 twice as much RAM, better throughput. I'm like, I'm gold. What I never expected was that the new video card would require external power because the existing one didn't. So now I need to have a power cable to plug in. Well, my power supply doesn't have one of those for this video card. And then I'm like, oh, now what? And this is a case that's designed for a particularly low-cost power supply that's long and thin instead of square. And I couldn't find one that would fit in there. That had, Long story short, I didn't think I was going to be able to get this done. But I had one serial ATA connector on the motherboard that was open for adding another hard drive if I wanted. I bought a power cable for that. And then I bought an adapter to go from that serial ATA to the video card plug that I needed put the new card in, plugged it in, bam, it's working great. <laughs> it's, it's doing its thing. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So now I've got my settings turned back up. I can see the ferns and the grass and stuff again. The video card's like around 70 75%, you know, depending on what's going on. I'm like, all right, woo. <laughs> so that was nice. At, at one point I thought I'm going to, I'm going to, I screwed myself so bad I'm going to need to buy a new computer to play this video game. And I'm like, ooh, whew, I don't have to. So that was well, awesome. It was, it was funny listening to you as you're like, "Oh my god, I see the ferns." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Where do you where do you see the red flowers? That that oh, yeah, orange, orange, flowers. orange flowers that say, "This is yeah. planes, don't come here." <laughs> yeah, because uh, right now I can't uh, see like, the orange flowers. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm like Bob, don't go any further. Orange flowers are there. I don't see the orange flowers. Yeah, just come back. Just trust me. On now this. I now I have that visual cue that I should not go any further. Yes, um, and then the yeah. last thing I want to talk about is um, there have been uh, out of so many TV shows, so many TV shows over the last 10, 15, 20 years where the writing is like, eh. 
some of them the writing is really good, but you know the 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 you can tell that the writer's room is kind of like the composition is is kind of stodgy, kind of like basic. You know, they're 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 telling good stories, but they're all basically samey stuff that has been done a bazillion times. Mm-hmm. Um, all the, I don't know who's in the writer's room for the new Magnum PI, but we're in season three, and these people are killing it consistently topical stuff that's relevant to the current day and age um they're they lean towards the left so i'm sure the people on the far right would be like a bunch of liberal bullshit and they don't like it Uh but but they they have a lot of stories that are about um veterans and helping veterans who who are in in bad circumstances and stuff um they had one where a vet came home um and he felt like he was he made a deal with his buddy to come home on leave when his buddy was supposed to come on leave. They swapped and he went home on leave and then his unit got jacked and they, they got killed Oof. and his buddy would have lived and his buddy had a wife and a daughter at home and he felt Oof. so guilty. He, he was going to commit suicide <laughs> and it was a hugely compelling tearjerker story that it had a happy ending. This is Magnum PI. This is Magnum PI. These are like yeah. the side plots nope. in the, in the, yeah. in the, in yeah. the investigations. Like, you know, like the guy came home, the wife found out that the guy came home, but he never showed up. And then like, you need to find out why he's home because he wasn't supposed to be home. And where is he? And then they find out all of these things as they're doing their investigation and whatnot. They've got I stuff mean, about like a teen that got pregnant and, and she wasn't, she, she didn't think she could handle it. So she left her baby at Robin's nest hoping that the, the rich people there would be able to take care of her baby. So you've got like a, this poor teen girl that, that they wanted the cops should like, you need to send her to CPS. And it's like, if we send her to CPS, we're just going to tear her life apart. Maybe if we find her and we talk to her and find out what her extenuating circumstances are, we can figure this out. And at the end of the episode, they're all like, we want to be part of your life going forward because we feel like you, you could use the support. Like, like just all of these these good, good friends doing things for each other and and supporting people and cool. and like all like great stories about uh, uh like native culture in Hawaii which you didn't really get in the original Magnum PI like all kinds of really good stories and there's usually uh if not the main plot there's a B plot that's kind of got like a gut punch kind of like oh you're going to squirt some tears by the end of this episode <laughs> They're so good and so well written. So just kudos to whoever's in the writer's room for the new Magnum PI because they're killing it. That sounds really good. Yeah. All right. That's enough for me. Okay. All right. I will will jump in. Um, First, I would say uh, without any spoilers, Falcon and Winter Soldier, knocking it out of the fucking park again. Last episode was amazing. Uh, Some things I did not expect to see. Some character changes I liked. Um and just overall, just just good times. Some stuff in your face, some stuff subtle, and everything great. It's it's a it's a tearjerker. Um, our Eberron game didn't go off this week, so I didn't do much gaming this week except with kids on brooms. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, Glenn runs a really good game, and I'm enjoying the characters. Uh, still not a big fan of the dice mechanics, but um, I'm liking the, the 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 characters and the interaction and everything else. Um, and lastly, we watched uh, the next episode of Invincible. Um, this is a really good superhero show. Um, it's violent and it deals with a lot of uh, unusual situations. Um, 
but uh, it's it's really good and uh, a lot of good uh, pastiches and homages to other comic book things. So um, I would just say if, if you like superhero shows and aren't afraid to see um, quite a bit of violence in them, it, it's, it's a good show. It's not dark and morally gray because the main character is definitely a good guy. And the people he wants to work with are good guys. It's some of the bad guys that are questionable initially on what they're doing and what's going on. There's some there's some organizations, but that's what you get when you get shield and that kind of stuff. So anyway, good show. Bill? Yeah. Um more of the same stuff. Um and some of the stuff that you guys did too, right? Um so I also watched um Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mwah, chef's kiss. Like yes. <laughs> so good. And so everything I wanted it. Um it ended the way I wanted it to end. So I was super happy. Yep. Um yeah. With that, say no more about that um, to avoid spoilers. Uh, I've been playing this um, this Space Builder Arena game. Um, <laughs> still playing it, like, level 16 now. I've been grinding away at it a while, making, like, you know, cool ships and stuff like that and kind of analyzing my fights to see where my ship weaknesses are and, like, tooling them up and stuff like that. Uh, played some Minecraft, still working on that 116 pack. I really am close to having, I think, all the parts of it are done. Um, I just need to test one or two mods left, uh, and then I'll know if it's um, if that pack is uh, viable. Which is interesting because I'm playing it, but I'm trying not to overplay it so that like when we do set it server side, like there'll still be stuff to do. So like I've like done like the basic mechanism stuff, but like there's so much more to that mod pack. But I'm just like I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it because like that's later game stuff. Uh, but I'm just trying to make sure like all the all the mods kind of work. Um, uh, watching more Voyager, obviously, with all of you all loving that. And really, my second watch through Voyager, the show's really growing on me. Like I, um, I, I, I liked it when I watched it last summer, at, like putting the list together for you guys. And I was like, oh, yeah, this Voyager much better than I remember. And now rewatching it with you guys. I'm like, oh, you know what? I like this series just fine. Like it's like, it's great. Like I have learned to love it for what it is. And I've learned to re-embrace episodic Star Trek. Um, Having been such a diehard DS nine fan, I was like serial Star Trek is like, you know, the best, but I have come to love episodic Star Trek as well. And um, it does like, they have some great episodic stories and things like that. So I'm also rewatching um, the first season of Blacklist and holy shit, is this series good? Like, I know later they're going to jump the shark on this thing, but man, this first season is like, I don't know if either one of you watched it, but like, first it's, episodes, yeah. oh, it's such a good show. And, and James Spader, I mean, this is the reason why James Spader is the voice of Ultron is yeah. this was, was his participation yeah. in the series. Like he, he is such a good bad guy. Um cool. Uh, and the show's like they got like it, the first season's got like all these storylines like like wrapped up into it like they've got like big meta plot and a whole bunch of mysteries and then you got like individual like episodes where they're catching these like weird ass criminals like oh it's oh it's just a lot of fun um i forgot how much i i forgot how much i enjoyed the show when it first came out so I'm watching that. Um, I uh, over the weekend for brunch, I made um, scallion pancakes and pot stickers. I have really gotten this. um, I have gotten this recipe down. Um, It's great. Um, I finally got my dipping sauce the way I like it. Um, I got some store bought dipping sauce, but I have chili flake. 
Yeah, baby. And uh, just a couple spoonfuls of chili flake into the store-bought sauce and mwah, brings it right to where I like flavor-wise where I want it. Um, so I was like, I, and it was fun. I hadn't made um, scallion pancakes in a while, so it was fun to make them again. And it was a really delicious brunch. I also finally, after months of not doing it, which I think was also like just part of my funk and depression, um, I finally went and ordered some um, pretzels again. Yeah, uh, there's a big oh. sale. This like there's fifty percent off yes. sale. Um, yep. So I stocked up. Right I stocked up on some turnbuckles. Um, mm-hmm. I like the turnbuckles because if I'm not super hungry, I can just make like one or two of them. Yep. And if I'm hungry, I can just make a couple more. Like the other ones are kind of big. Like yeah. you got to commit to eating the pretzel, but the turnbuckles like a scalable. Yeah. Um, are those the, are those the the, the straight ones? Sticks? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and they're not, I mean, they're not huge, but they're not small. Like, you really can just kind of look at it and be like, "Mm, I think it's a three tonight. Or, "Mm, you know what? Maybe I just need two. And I got some more of that that sweet mustard because I love that mustard, Mm. that Maui onion mustard. Yeah, I think that's enough. That's good. Cool. That's good. We should should probably uh, get ready to pack up based on on where we are time-wise. All right, so thank you to the following patrons for following us and donating to the cause. Dan Simons, David Walker, Drew Smith, the secret weapon of the show, Glenn okay. Seiler, one of the most uh, dynamic table players that you can have in a, in a game, especially when fields are involved. And excellent GM as well. Yes. Jason Pinella, Jason Pitt, Gene Lorbert, Jeff Stevens, Joe Rasso and John. Thank you once again. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you cannot make the live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcast. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Sector Mark Network, such as Mastery Dungeon, Bones of Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Panis Talking Games, The Gnomecast, John Goo Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of Shooter Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming MBS. After you have accepted your mission and before you put your master plan together, leave us some feedback. We can probably give you some extra intel. Um, you, can, you can reach us directly via email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Check us out on Twitter. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. And I believe because Jerry turned on and off his camera, I don't know where anyone is right now. So I'm not making, I'm not pointing anywhere. Um, one of them is Robert M. Everson. One of them is GM Jerry Mander and me. I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the misdirected Mark network, you can support our Patreon campaigns and please do MMP mastering dungeons and pandas talking games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhangu hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhangu hustle. And bonus experiences at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production, the media armor of designs. Mic drop. We out.